The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! The best it's ever been? College football, the best it's ever been. It's a bold statement. Maybe I'll agree with it. I don't know. That's what we're going to talk about, among other things. This is the Late Kick Extra Mailbag Exclusive Weekly episode. That's not the official title, of course, because that would be obnoxiously long immunity. But this is full wall-to-wall mailbag. At Late Kick Josh is how you can get your college football etc. questions to me. And that one's in here today. Our buddy Joel Klatt actually talked with Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, and among other things, they said, hey, the sport may be in a better place now than it's ever been. Do we agree with that? That's not how we're leading it off, but we'll eventually get to that. And we got a number of your questions to get to. I thank you so much. Make sure you're just subscribed to the pod. Most of you are still unsubscribed. Keep listening. It'll always be free. Just do us the small return favor of subscribing. Okay, let's dive into the mailbag. First up, Garrett from St. Augustine, Florida said, which games have you circled for the upcoming season as must-watch? I know all games are must-watch, but you get what I'm saying, LOL. It, it's good that you added the caveat, Garrett. I would have had to add it if you didn't. So I have some games listed on the, on the trusty notebook paper in front of me. I don't want to beat around the bush. Let's just call it what it is. Texas-Alabama is going to be must-watch TV. Texas is eternally in that are-they-back mentality. Or I guess I should say the country is always in a are-they-back mentality when it comes to Texas. And the country also happens to find itself, some of the country at least, in a situation where they're doubting Alabama a little bit more than they would. And you're telling me I get both of those teams on the same field? It's not neutral either. I get them in Tuscaloosa? After yours truly stood on the field in 157 million degree heat in Austin last year for an 11 a.m. kickoff, which I don't mind, by the way. This one's in prime time. You get Alabama a couple of times this year, actually. You get Bama at home in games where either they almost got beat last year, i.e. Texas, or they flat out did get beat last year, i.e. LSU, Tennessee. So if you're an Alabama season ticket holder, some years it's, eh, this year you're going to get your money's worth and then some. Texas, Alabama. That one's going to be great and you don't have to wait long. That one's in week two. Next up, and I'm not going in sequential order here, Next up is later in the year. Think about week 12. Think about all the way up in the Pacific Northwest. These teams did not play in 2022. It is USC at Oregon in week 12. I have experienced Eugene. I've experienced Autzen Stadium when the other team from LA is there, when UCLA is there. But when USC rolls into town and it's late in the year, and these are the two favorites, this is 1-2 to win the Pac-12 right now in terms of preseason odds, could be on fire. There's no could be. It will be on fire up there. And also, this is part of that really, really treacherous stretch on the back half of USC's schedule. They have that really, really early bye week. Remember, 
and so they just play a bunch of games in a row to end the season. And Oregon, on the other hand, they think about what it could be. It could be Caleb Williams trying to win his second consecutive Heisman Trophy. He's the best quarterback in college football. Then you got Bo Nix up there, a guy I have no doubts about. Like, I think the world of him, but some people push back when I or anyone else says good things about him because they say, oh, Bo Nix, they still have like the Auburn Bo Nix stigma in their mind. Maybe it takes more than one year to shake it. Maybe you didn't watch him last year. I don't know. But that could be a big-time quarterback matchup, big-time matchup, period. So I'm looking forward to that one. Week four, week four is really big. I did not even put Ohio State and Notre Dame on this list, but that also happens in week four. FSU at Clemson. And I want to put a finer point on this. So week one for both teams is going to start to put the magnifying glass and focus a little bit on what week four will look like. So Clemson goes to Duke week one, Labor Day night, standalone game as we would call it in the business. And uh, you, you may think, oh, big deal, that's a tune-up game. No, it's not. Clemson's favored by 12. Uh, so it's a losable game. And with their offensive struggles last year and with the way Duke really played above their skis last year and the way Duke does not have a question at quarterback, Riley Leonard's a very good player, and we think Cade Klubnick will be, we get some of those questions answered in week one is the point. Meanwhile, you know what's happening down in Orlando. You know FSU is playing LSU at a neutral site. And the only bad thing about that is the fact that it's at a neutral site because the rest of that is awesome. I got a question for you. Now, let's think beyond the ACC for a second. Let's just allow our minds to drift towards that early September, sometimes nonsensical but always present college football playoff talk. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, let's just say that FSU wins 30-27 to against LSU in week one. Okay. I think instantly, if you're not already taking them seriously as a national title contender, you would start talking about them. Then you would look at the rest of their schedule, and you would say, all right, who's up next? Who's up next? And everyone's mind and eyeballs would eventually go to week four, and you would realize, oh, they're on a collision course with Clemson? And they play at Clemson, and that's, I don't have to wait until the back half of the season. That's late in the year, and these are the one, two in terms of odds to win the ACC. Oh, and they're both in the playoff picture. Wow. And also what we get, I assume that night, I assume that'll be a night game. What we also get that night is we get something that we don't get nearly enough of. And if you're a Clemson fan, I, I assume you will wholeheartedly nod that head in agreement with me here. We don't get enough big Clemson atmospheres. Because you're always favored by too many points. It's, it's your fault for being too good, I guess. And it's the rest of the conference's fault for not keeping up. It should be that we think of Clemson football. We think of a dominant stretch. Few championships mixed in. But we think of legendary home atmospheres. And instead, we don't. Because there haven't been enough of them. This year, uh, you're guaranteed, virtually guaranteed, to have at least a couple of them. With, obviously, FSU. Notre Dame comes in there later in the year, too. So that's what I think about with that one. That's, that's, again, that's before the first month of the season is up. What about the last week of the year? I know we're not overthinking the room here by any stretch, but Ohio State at Michigan. I could start the list with this, really. This went in no particular order. The drama, the urgency, the nervousness, the chewing the fingernails to the nub, the being terrified about what your legacy is going to say about you if you don't come through in this game, that's every year. But if you're a player, you eventually come through there, you move on, your legacy is set. And for a long time, 
Ohio State players, it didn't really matter what area you played in. You had a winning record against Michigan. Michigan has not won back-to-back-to-back in this series this millennium. Y2K was still on the horizon the last time Michigan went back-to-back-to-back. And now they're threatening to do it, and you got to go to Ann Arbor, Michigan to play it this year like you did in the snow a couple of years ago. And all of a sudden, you've got guys running the risk of leaving Ohio State with a losing record against Michigan. And furthermore, you got a coaching staff there led by Ryan Day who's running the risk of being the staff that let the rivalry get away from them. And then on the other side, you got Harbaugh and his staff that know we figured things out. We know we can beat Ohio State. We've done it a couple of times in a row, but we haven't arrived yet either because we haven't done anything past that. We've won the Big Ten, but past that, we've gotten beaten twice in the playoff. So neither one of them feel like they've arrived. One of them's in total wounded animal mode. The other one is still on the hunt. And you and I get it. Uh, The last Saturday of the regular season at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central Time. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Why? Because regular season college football is wonderful. So I can't wait for that. I am always happy to have you with us. We do this thing in this format once a week. I was talking to Director Colin just a few minutes ago. He asked me, hey, when are we going back to three late kick lives per week? And I said, within uh, a month and a half. So it's not too far away. But in the meantime, we do two of them, Sunday and Thursday night. And then we do this, late kick extra, which is just mailbag. And who knows, we may still find a way to mix this in during the season. But I always appreciate it. You guys tend to listen to this one more so than you do the other ones anyway. So maybe we need to totally invert our model. Alec from Phoenix, Arizona, next up. He said, is football really at its best place, like Joel Klatt said during his recent interview with Greg Sankey? Interesting question, Alec. And he's not the only one who said that. Our our old boss here, really, really good friend of the program, believe it or not, uh, Shannon Terry says the same thing every time I talk to him. He says, look, sport's in a great place. This sport is going in a direction that's the best direction it's ever headed. Now, you listen to me long enough, and you know that I have doubts. So I'm not, you know, I'm not necessarily etching or printing the tombstone, however you make a tombstone. It's nothing like that. In fact, I have a lot of confidence about a lot of aspects of the sport. But Joel Klatt, uh, to give you some context for the question, Joel Klatt had a recent interview with Greg Sankey, who's the commissioner of the SEC. And in that, Clack kind of editorializes and says, I feel like the sport is in the best overall place it's been, even though there are questions and big problems around the sport. And so the question is, do I agree with that? I think it's so complicated. There is some stuff happening that I don't like at all. For instance, if you're of any age, uh, past, I don't know, 25, you've grown up to know college football as a certain thing. And that is a regional thing. Not regional in that it only matters in one part of the country. Regional as in it is made up of regional territories, or as they would be called in the old wrestling days. Or in our day, it's called conferences. And conferences meant something. Pac-12 means you're a West Coast team. A Big Ten means you're, you're an upper Midwest team. Or SEC, obviously, etc., etc. Well, now, <laughs> Big Ten could mean Rutgers and Jersey. It could mean UCLA and SoCal. So it doesn't really mean anything. It's just like AFC, NFC. It's just a national brand. Some people think that's good. I'm not crazy about that. So that's one thing I don't like. However, 
I know, I know what the counter argument is. The counter argument could be, Josh, how could you say that you're not looking forward to seeing USC go into the horseshoe or seeing Penn State uh, go into the Rose Bowl? I'm not saying I'm not looking forward to that. This is the great hypocrisy. As David Oven wrote about a couple of weeks ago in The Athletic, it's the great hypocrisy of folks like me. It's not all negative. Even the stuff we don't like that's happening right now, it's not total negative. There are some positives. Oklahoma and Texas come to the SEC. You think I'm not going to be tuned in? You think I probably won't be there when Bama goes to Oklahoma? Of course I'll be there. But I don't love the concept that Texas and OU are coming to the SEC and, and largely taking a lot of the credibility oxygen out of what has been a power conference for a long time. So, you know, kind of conflicted on that. But overall, and this is, this is a general thought from me, because I could, I could go all day, I could go a whole podcast and a half on just this topic. It's not, always, it's not always proof positive that something is headed the right direction just because the current results are good. So for instance, you could point to TV ratings, you could point to, you could pick out your metrics really, and you could say there's never been more this, there's never been more that. And that may be true. And college football's numbers are through the roof. There's never been more revenue, for example. Results have always been downstream of the product. And what that means, obviously, is what you're getting now is a result of what already happened. So I'm a believer, for instance, that college football was at its best in the mid to late 2000s. That's my favorite kind of golden era of college football. And I think, obviously, even if you don't agree with that, you have to agree it was a phenomenal period. Maybe you think it's the best, maybe you don't. No one says college football sucked during the, the mid to late 2000s. Just an incredible time for the sport and an incredible time for our business, even though I wasn't in this business yet. You reap the rewards on the back end. So the rewards are happening now. It's like a ripple effect, like, a, like an earthquake happens 500 miles out to sea. You don't get the tidal wave. You don't get the tsunami for several hours. Well, you don't get the tsunami and say, oh, an earthquake's happening. No, an earthquake happened. You don't, therefore, in our world, get a, a wave of interest and say, oh, college football's good right now. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But a lot of that tidal wave is coming in reaction to something that already happened. So I have, I have never been of the opinion that you just look around you right now. You look at the value of something and think that's indicative of its right now assessment. So I guess my answer is, if you had to nail me down one way or the other, no, I don't think college football is as good right this moment as it's ever been. I don't think it's terrible. I'm, I'm not even close to saying that. But if it's an either or, yes or no, A or B, no, I don't think it's as good as it's ever been. But I think there's some good indicators, I guess is the right way to put that. Let's, uh, I'm going to take a sip of something that we have a question about later in the pot. I just can't make it to, um, I think it's like the second to last question. I can't make it that long, immunity, so I'm going to take a sip now. I should probably address something, by the way. We did have a question, and even though I didn't put it on the format for the guys in the, in the control room, I am going to address it. Someone asked, as they do about once a month, someone asked, what do you say immunity for? It's a fine line I have to walk. Immunity came about because we are all five years old, essentially, in terms of maturity around here. And there are a lot of that's what she says that get dropped in the office. I don't traffic in such behavior, but Jesse and Colin and Bradley and Chelsea and, and President in there, they all do. And so, you know, I try and rise above that nonsense, but I get drugged down into the mud sometimes. So I had to develop a mechanism uh, 
wherein I can cast a, like an imaginary shield over myself. So I made up a rule that if I say immunity after a phrase, before you catch it, that makes me exempt. You can't drop a that's what she said on me. So if you ever hear me on air say immunity, that's all that is. That's all that, it's, it's really habit more so than anything. And uh, half of you have filled my comments up after every show saying, hey, hey, at, at 42.38, at the 42 minute 38 second mark of last show, you said something and didn't say immunity. I'm not perfect, guys. I'm sorry. I'm not perfect. There was one pretty egregious miss in last Late Kick Live. I'm aware of it. I had friends texting me about it. I'm aware of it. It's where we are in life these days. Chad from Jacksonville, Florida, next up. Chad asks, if Alabama loses three or more games this year, will they lose their automatic preseason top three ranking like they seem to be given every year on just name and recruiting class? Well, Chad, that's a pretty darn important name to be going off of. So I'm going to make some assumptions here, Chad. You're not here to represent yourself, so it's unfair, but I'm going to do it anyway. I, I almost get the sense that you think there's some favoritism shown to Alabama. I almost get the sense, call me crazy, I almost get the sense that you think they're given some, some unfair preferential treatment amongst the college football public and the media infrastructure that covers this sport. Am I right, Chad? Yes. Thank you, Chad. Well, Chad, I disagree. I, I agree that they're given preferential treatment. I just think they've earned every bit of it. And here's the thing, Chad, it would be very easy to disprove that because you are right. They start top three every year. A lot of times they're just number one every year. And it is because of people knowing how talented their roster is via recruiting. And it is because of what the name Alabama means. But what does the name Alabama mean? If you're talking about preseason polls, half of you think they shouldn't exist. So you guys just sit this one out. But for the rest of you who think they should exist, but Alabama somehow shouldn't always start near the top, well, what criteria would you rather go on? You obviously don't have any results for the upcoming season. So in lieu of results or having a crystal ball, like Steve Wilfong has, but for games instead of recruits, what would you go by, Chad? I feel a little aggressive here. Let me tone it down. Chadwick, what would you go by? I had producer Jesse compile me some notes. You know, it's going to shock you. Alabama has been a preseason top three since 2010, every single year. But you know what they've also done every single year? They finished with double-digit wins. They finished outside the top five three total times in that decade. They've come through every year, Chad. It'd be one thing if they were going seven and five and then everybody was doing with Bama what they do with Texas. They just get amnesia during spring and summer and then they print their magazines and they say, Alabama's back this year. They're not back. They never went anywhere. Also, they've got multiple national titles during this stretch. You've got a warped standard with Alabama. I try and explain this all the time to no avail. But with Alabama, people just judge Alabama against Alabama teams of the past. And that's not the way to do it. You judge Bama against the field that they're going to compete against. They may start doing this with Georgia. You know, if Georgia does not win a title this year or next year or the next year, but they're good every year. Come 2026, Georgia will probably start top three and someone will say they're overrated and someone will ask, how are they overrated? Well, this team right here wouldn't beat the 2021 team. Well, 2021 Georgia's not playing this year. Like, what, what sense does that make? And it's the same with Bama. Oh, these Bama teams are down relative to those teams Saban had in the mid-20-teens. Those were death squads. 
Yeah, so that 2020 team, best offense he's ever had. You don't have to measure up to those teams because they don't play this year. They will never take the field again, unfortunately. I'd love to watch it. But with Bama, they absolutely belong up there every year. Do you, do you trust odds makers? Odds makers put them up there every year. I don't know what else we would go on is what I'm saying. So if they were to lose three games this year, knowing what I know about the preseason rankings process, I actually think there are a lot of people out there who vote in the AP poll who would love to enjoy the novelty aspect of Bama not starting the season top five. So I think the opposite, Chad. I think there are a lot of folks out there who would love any reason to cast that ballot and have Bama number seven. Even if they would not pick six other teams against Bama on a neutral field, they'd just love to do it because there's no consequence. It's a preseason AP poll. There's no consequence. I don't even fill mine out half the time. There's no consequence. And so if it's not serious, you can afford to do such things. But last year, I'll ask you this. They lost two games, right? Both of them were on the last plays of games. And so if I shift even one thing about either one of those, they probably go to the playoff. Um, they, who, who knows what they do? But the point is, they're coming off yet another year where they go to the playoff or they go to the SEC championship game. Let me put it that way. Would we have a problem with this? Like, would we be viewing them as down? I don't think we would. It's always funny. The conversation around Alabama always gets so warped because people hold them, some people, hold them to a different standard than they do Washington. Like if, or FSU, take FSU. I firmly believe if you took the roster Alabama has this upcoming year and you put FSU jerseys on them, some people who are doubting Alabama would pick Florida State to win the national title. And it's not because it would be any different a team. Quite the opposite. Florida State would still be unproven. Bama's proven. It's just you get fatigue with a team once they win for a while and you start holding them to a warped, different standard in your own mind. And that's that. Next up, good question here. That was a good question too, Chad. It was just, it was just friendly sparring back and forth. Kyle asked me which school I have not been able to go to because they haven't been good enough that I really want to go to. Kyle's talking about the tour we take in the fall. The tour name is coming very soon, very soon. Uh, we did, uh, let's see, the Renaissance Tour two years ago. We did the Every Given Saturday Tour last year. We get to think about this world for you new listeners. We just get to pick where we go every week and get a sideline pass and go stand there and watch the game and then fly back to Nashville and talk about it. And they give us money to do it. No catch, no, no hidden strings attached. Well, I've never been to Virginia Tech. And when I grew up, Virginia Tech was a national powerhouse. I was a child running around watching Michael Vick do his thing up there, and I would always look at the entrance, the inner Sandman entrance, and they were known for special teams, Beamer Ball, as they called it. And so I would think, you know, if I were to tell my little self, when you fast forward and you become an adult with a driver's license and an apartment and everything, you'll be able to just go wherever you want. Certainly, I would think Virginia Tech was going to be a mainstay, but that's not the way college football works. It's, in some cases, very cyclical. And Virginia Tech's been on a downward cycle for quite a while, and I'm not happy about it because I would love to go see a game in Blacksburg, Virginia. And I would love to see the pageantry and the tradition, and it's a really unique place, really unique place. I don't know if you're like me. When I, when I think of places, I think of uh, stadiums, and I can always picture them in my mind. So with Virginia Tech, 
I think they have a pretty unique stadium design. A lot of college places were like this because the stadium wasn't all built at once. Like MetLife Stadium in New Jersey is just a, it's a cookie cutter NFL stadium. And it was all built at once. Well, some of these college stadiums, like one of the grandstands was built in 1923. And then they added another one in 1944. And then they added some end zone seating in 1960. And then the concept of luxury suites first entered the equation. And so it's like a little erector set that was built in different eras. I don't know that that's how Virginia Tech was built. I just know it looks like that in my mind. And uh, so whenever I know that we're going somewhere is my point. I always think about that in my mind. This is that stadium I'm going to. Some of them I've been to before, some of them I haven't, but that's the, that's the image that pops in my mind. Like if, if you were to tell me Washington, because Washington's another one that we haven't been to, I think of that big overhang that comes over the, the sideline seats. Uh, last year, you know, with, with Autzen Stadium, I don't know why, because it's not always like this, but I always think of a night game, radical color scheme, for obvious reasons, uh, that duck on a motorcycle, and I think of a very a very thin layer of fog sort of floating in around third quarter. Again, doesn't always happen that way. Never been to a game at USC. I'll tell you two places in uh, the Pac-12 that I would like to go. Well, they're in the Pac-12 as of recording, at least. Never been to a game at Arizona State or Arizona. And I have a sneaking suspicion, much like I used to have about Iowa State, that both of those places would over-deliver, but they just haven't been good enough to warrant us taking ourselves you know, on a tour that claims to go to one of the biggest games in the country every week out to Arizona or Arizona State. Uh, those are just a few of the places. Haven't been to Oklahoma, but they've been good. We just, it, the stars haven't aligned. We haven't gotten out there. Just went to Texas last year for the first time. I'll tell you one more, and then we'll move on. Texas Tech. When I was a kid, we took a church mission trip via Greyhound bus, by the way, from Columbus, Georgia, all the way to Lubbock, Texas. That is like 17 hours on a bus. It was exactly how it sounds. And we got stranded for six hours in Jackson, Mississippi on the way back, as I recall. Anyway, um, I remember going out there, and that was the first and only time I've been to Lubbock. So I didn't go to a football game. But I remember we were in Lubbock, and we were around the university and around the campus. And I remember how it felt like we were in the middle of nowhere which is not a bad thing. At the time, I thought it was a bad thing. Now I love that because the more you get those fan bases that are sort of secluded, they're not near major cities. And it's not that Lubbock is some outpost or something like that with a couple of general stores and a gas station, but Lubbock is not close to any other major city. It's just out there in the Texas panhandle. It sort of takes on like a communal feel more so than some of these other places do. At least that's been my experience. And they, there's an ownership of the team by the community that maybe you would not get. Like Knoxville and Baton Rouge, uh, awesome atmospheres. I mean, Tennessee and LSU are both on my top 10 list. There's a different feel, though, when you go to these places that are off the grid a little bit. There's more of like an ownership. And some people would call it cultish. I don't call it cultish at all. But there is an ownership there is an all-in-ness. There's like an over-the-cliff attitude of everybody chipping in for the greater good, etc. It's really great. And so I imagine in my head, my point here is my, I imagine in my head, that's how Texas Tech would be. But I got to go see it. I got to go see it to be sure. Hat tip Joey McGuire for what they're doing out there, though. All right. Uh, 
I know what some of you were thinking there. You thought that was the ad toss. Nope. Just a little pregnant pause. Take a sip of coffee. And then half of you also thought I was going to deke you and I was going to throw you in the ad break there. Nope. This is not it yet. Uh, let me clear my throat, though. <clears throat> Tyler from Pleasant Hill, Oregon said, we hear a lot about brand name schools and their importance to their leagues, especially in the Power Five. But it does make for eye rolls in the other fan bases. If you had to pick non-name brand dark horses to win each Power Five league in 2023, who would you pick? You know, Tyler, I'm guilty of this. So we run a business here. It's not a charity. So I do talk a lot about the, the name brand schools, if you will. But I always, I always get a sense for our entire audience. We got, we got people who listen all over the world and we got people who listen all over the country. And I know not every one of you is an Ohio State fan. Some of you are uh, Bowling Green fans. And you know going into the show, it's unlikely we're going to talk a great deal Falcons. But you listen anyway. And you just, you have to roll your eyes. Every time I talk about the big boys and you don't get a mention. And I appreciate that. And I also, I can visualize it. So don't think I'm ignoring you. It just, it is what it is. But since you ask... I'll give you some here. I'll give you some non-name brands. I would go first up in the, in the Big Ten. You got to tell me if you think Wisconsin is a name brand. Everybody knows Wisconsin, yes. But are they a main stage power player name brand program? I would say in the last you know, couple of decades, I would not quite put them in that, in that tier. And so I would say Wisconsin with Luke Fickle is the non-name brand contender in the Big Ten this year. I think that he has the ingredients and the attitude and the staff to immediately turn it around. And it's not like it was totally in the gutter anyway. And when they, when they announced that they were bringing in Phil Longo, and they announced they had gotten Tanner Mordecai, for example, out of the transfer portal to come play quarterback for him, man, that caught a bunch of eyes and ears in the Big Ten. Because I'll tell you what people had grown accustomed to. People had grown accustomed to drawing Wisconsin on their schedule, and knowing it was going to be a physical game, but Wisconsin didn't scare them. And I'm talking about if you're Michigan, if you're Penn State, if you're Ohio State, because they knew, all right, pound for pound, we're going to have better athletes than them. And so if they beat us, it'll be because we contributed to it. They're not going to show us anything we didn't expect, in other words. Well, now all of a sudden, what are you getting with Wisconsin offensively? And they still got one more year of playing that Big Ten West schedule. So maybe they go to the conference championship game just one four-quarter effort. If they're like plus three turnovers in a game where they're a 13-and-a-half-point dog, they could pull it off. So that would be my Big Ten dark horse non-name brand. What about the Big 12? I think you got to go Kansas State here because they did it last year. So we'll go right back to the well. This is not even something that's that bold. It's not a bold prediction, but Kansas State's not a – they're not a name brand program. They're not up there with Texas and Oklahoma in any sense of the word. But they're good, and they return a lot from a team that, again, won the Big 12 last year. I think one of the big crimes against our tour last year was that Oklahoma State just totally no-showed when they went up to Manhattan, and I was up there. I was making my, making my debut trip to, to Manhattan, Kansas, and I'm expecting a good, a good game, and it's like a one-and-a-half or two-and-a-half point spread, and it's just I've never felt more confident that there's a close game that's about to go down. And the final score was violent and ugly, and it was bad. Um, now, I will say this. 
They treated us second to none up there. It was great. As much as a blowout atmosphere can show you, we got it. Uh, I loved it up there. I just, I just would love to see a closer game. I know you guys up there enjoyed the blowout. I'd love to see a closer game. But yeah, so Kansas State in the Big 12. Oregon State in the Pac-12. As everyone talks about USC, as we do too. As everyone talks about Oregon, we do too. Washington, I was a little curious about because like, for, depending on what age you are, Washington's kind of been a name brand at various points in the history of college football. Now, if you're 17, they're, they're not. If you're 24, they're not. But if you're 50, you've seen Washington win a national title. You've seen Don James up there. I think the math shakes out there. So I went with Oregon State. Oregon State won 10 games last year. And another two losses were by a combined six points. So they only got beat by double digits once last year. I think that was the Utah game, I believe. So anyway, they were close to doing way more last year than they did. And they did a lot. And Jonathan Smith is a totally anonymous coach. This is a totally anonymous program. They get no coverage. And so if they were to all of a sudden win the Pac-12, to a lot of people, they would come out of nowhere. They would not be coming out of nowhere. They have the fifth best odds to win the conference. So it's USC, Oregon, Washington, Utah, Oregon State. They're right up there in that lead pack, and UCLA is the next one. Then there's a drop-off. So there's like a top six in the Pac-12, then a drop-off. But they've got DJ Uyangalale at quarterback, and otherwise they return a lot of the pieces they had last year that won them double-digit games. They slaughtered Florida in the bowl game. Granted, it was a shell of Florida, but they slaughtered them in the bowl game. And also, I would go to the ACC, I would go Louisville, and that's a lot to do with schedule. They've got coaching turnover there, but they probably have the most favorable schedule out of any of the contenders over there in the ACC. I don't think, Jesse, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think they play FSU in the regular season. They do not. They don't play Clemson in the regular season. They draw Miami really late in the year, and they go down to Miami for that game. There's just, let me read it for you really, really quick. If you're on podcasts, listen to this schedule. Georgia Tech in week one is, I think, in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So that's like a kind of neutral site game. It's in Atlanta. But they got Georgia Tech. They got Murray State, Indiana. And here goes your conference play again. Boston College at NC State, Notre Dame out of conference, at Pitt by week, Duke, Virginia Tech, Virginia, at Miami, you're done with conference play. You play Kentucky. There's just, there's no, there's no landmine. There's no stretch there. Their toughest stretch would be at NC State, Notre Dame, at Pitt, I think would be their toughest stretch. And you, you show that to an Arkansas fan, for example, and tell them, hey, Arky, look at this tough stretch we play. And they're like, uh, go away. They slam the door in your face before you can even get the third team out of your mouth. In the SEC, I don't have any because I always get sucked into this trap and I know what happens. What happens is someone asks me an innocent question, give me a non-power brand contender, a dark horse contender. So I'll tell you Texas A&M. Someone doesn't listen close enough, and then they run to a message board and say, can you believe this dude said that Texas A&M is going to win the SEC? The reality is there is no real dark horse, as you would define a dark horse, that can win the SEC. Or at least I don't think so. Mississippi State, I don't think is going to win the SEC. Kentucky, I don't think they're going to win the SEC. 
So I could give you whichever one I think would have the best percentage chance of doing it. And I, I chose A&M, but then again, half the people listening would probably classify A&M as a major brand. I would say in terms of results, they're not a major brand. But in terms of resource and capability, they absolutely are a major brand. So I, my point is, I could see it, but I couldn't see it with the others. And therefore, I don't think there's a valid way to even answer this question about the SEC. And also, even if I try to, I know the direction some of the more casual-minded amongst us takes it. So instead, I choose to drop this on you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. I'll be giving that point to me. I scored a point on you there. Highly doubt you saw that one coming. Wibble just goes by Wibble. That's all we know. Next up, he said, with changes coming to the Big Ten, will there be increased pressure to fire coaches? Yes, I think there will be. This is just brutal honesty from me. I think you're already seeing it. Now, there are a lot of things in play here, so follow me. The Big Ten signed that big new media rights deal. There's a ton of money pumping into the conference with that, I think there is an unspoken agreement amongst media partners in the Big Ten that you've got to give us a better second and third tier product. No one's got a problem with Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. They know they're taking it seriously. But if I run CBS, for example, and I'm not quite there yet, but if I run CBS or if I run Fox or if I run NBC and I'm about to hand out, hand over like truckloads of cash, I'm looking and I'm saying, Man, I don't know how to put this, so I'm just going to say it. Iowa versus Michigan State's got to be better. Uh, Indiana versus Nebraska's just got to be better. Minnesota Northwestern, you got to give us a little bit more than you've been giving us. You can't just rely on the top layer. Not with this amount of money exchanging hands. And so think about the last hiring cycle. I am a believer we've already seen evidence of this. The last hiring cycle, Nebraska did not settle. Nebraska fired Scott Frost early in the year, and they got ultra-aggressive, and they went and got a coach no one else thought they could land. They got Matt Rule. Big deal. It's not guaranteed to pay off, but how could you ever have hoped for anything more for Nebraska, right? So then Wisconsin surprises a lot of people, and they fire Paul Christ. Not after the year. They fired him during the season. Who'd Wisconsin go land? They landed Luke Fickle. Again, a guy no one ever thought Wisconsin would be a player for. And that's two for two. I would say massively upgrading the overall coaching and staff infrastructure at programs and therefore upgrading the level of seriousness 
that will be applied to the way you watch them. You talk about Nebraska two years from now, Wisconsin one or two years from now, or you're watching them on TV, probably feels different, I would say, than it has the last several years. Well, so then I think about programs like Iowa with Kurt Ferentz, who's probably nearing retirement. I think about what has, what has passed for good enough with Maryland or Minnesota or Purdue. I just don't think it's going to be considered good enough in the future. And so that doesn't mean, by the way, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden these coaches are just randomly going to be fired. That happens anyway. Whether you say it or not, whether you want it to happen or not, that stuff happens anyway. Because with every conference win, there's got to be a conference loss. And some of those conferences' losses disproportionately pile up in certain buckets. So, I mean, Michigan State's got an over-under of four and a half this year. And Mel Tucker's one of the 10 highest-paid coaches in America. Think about that for a second. So all I'm saying is, with the added media rights inventory and the added zeros on the end of the media rights deal, I think there absolutely is a sort of a, a jug in the ribs, as, as my dad would say, a jug in the ribs, or that's just kind of a nudge of the elbow between the big boys in the high rises and the folks on the ground level running athletic departments that, hey, this isn't 2015 anymore. This isn't 2019 anymore. We got to get serious. It's not good enough to just cash the check and show up and take your loss. You need to actually try and win some of these things. And I mean, really try and win some of these things. Yes, I do believe that there'll be a lot more added pressure. I th here's the way I'll put it. I think a lot more of that conference is going to feel big boy pressure. The pressure James Franklin and Jim Harbaugh and Ryan Day feel has not been felt by the rest of that conference because there's always been this unspoken understanding that you guys around the rest of this conference are not going to be held to the same standard as them because we don't expect as much from you. That cannot fly. That cannot fly when you're paying the entire conference the amount of money that these networks are. Yes, there will be more pressure on those coaches. Next up, is this about the location of the game? I think we're at that point. Yeah, okay, so JT is in Houston. He said, does college football need a designated location for the national championship game. I'm thinking this because baseball has Omaha. Softball has Oklahoma City. JT, this is a really good question, my friend. A lot of people think yes. A lot of people think the Rose Bowl should be the annual location for college football's national championship game. I don't have a problem with that. I've never made it a point to plant my flag in the ground and die on that hill. Uh, my, my focus is not on the location. Believe it or not, for a guy who does not like neutral site locations, for a national championship game, I think several of these places are okay. Like, I love New Orleans, man. I love the Superdome. I love when we go there for playoff games or for national title games. I'd love for the playoff games to be on campus, but if I can't have that, I'd love to, you know, be there for whatever the postseason throws at us. I think uh, Atlanta does a good job. I think Miami does a really good job. But it's not about that, okay? It's not about the venue, per se. I did not like it at all when we played it in Santa Clara. I did not like it in SoFi Stadium, even though that is the most incredible venue I think I've ever seen. It is not college football. It does not feel like college football. Totally corporatized. And I hate that because that's how the Super Bowl feels. And all due respect to what the NFL has going on, I'm one of those few who remain in the minority who would love college football to feel uniquely like college football. Oh, by the way, it wouldn't hurt to play the game on a Saturday. Revenue be damned. 
But anyway, let's go back to the question at hand. You got the College World Series in Omaha. You got the Softball World Series there in Oklahoma City. And both of those places totally own those events. It is wonderful. It's destination. It's appointment viewing. It's a destination bucket list trip for a lot of people who love those sports. Should college football have that? I think you would get a pretty consensus opinion that if college football were to have one fixed location for the national title game, more people than not would say Rose Bowl. But do, do people, does, does a majority of college football fans want that? Should we have the college football national championship at just one location? If we did have it, I'd vote for the Rose Bowl, so I'm in agreement with most of you. But the reason I'd vote for the Rose Bowl is only partly due to what you love it for. You guys love the weather, and I do too. You love the scenery. You love the San Gabriel Mountains there when they're playing the Rose Bowl game, and it's later in the afternoon on the East Coast, and you're getting the sunset. It's already dark where you are in Georgia or New York or Virginia, but you're watching the sunset out there on the West Coast, and you're under like seven layers of clothing and blankets trying to stay warm, and you got folks shirtless out here in the crowd, and it's just a world. If you grew up like me in the rural South, you can't even imagine it. But that exists. And sometimes your teams get to go out there and play. If that were a national championship game, would that be great? Sure it would. But that's not why I love the Rose Bowl. I love the Rose Bowl because the Rose Bowl takes itself more seriously than any other college football venue and any other college football committee that hosts any other college football game. That's why the Rose Bowl should have the national championship. If the folks who run the Rose Bowl were put in charge of displaying the tradition and pageantry that should be synonymous with our championship game, it would not feel corporatized. I guarantee you, if you let the Rose Bowl committee run the actual national championship festivities, that's how college football should feel. So I love the San Gabriels, and I love the sunset, and I love all of the history of that stadium. I would love the way the presentation would feel because that committee out there gets it. That's why I didn't have a problem, still don't, with them digging in their heels and, and being such a menace in getting this new expanded playoff figured out. What's their crime? Standing for what they believe in? Refusing to just take a blowtorch to tradition for the sake of television networks? Like, I, I salute them. I used to curse them up and down because I was fooled into being a clapping seal that, you know, did the bidding of, of the folks in suits worth more than my whole wardrobe. Then I all of a sudden had the fog lift from my eyes and I saw the light and I, I said, hold on a second. I'm sitting here claiming to love tradition. These folks are out here fighting for tradition. They're pretty much the only entity left standing in the way and they haven't folded. I respect that about them. They get what this sport is about. Isn't it ironic, by the way, that this is a game that a lot of people in the South take as serious as anyone. And a lot of people in the Midwest, they take it as seriously as anyone. And you would look at folks on the West Coast and you would, you would claim, oh, Pac-12 soft. Oh, they're not as serious about it. Their game, the Rose Bowl, takes it as seriously as anyone. And they actually stood up more, and I want you to hear me in the South, stood up more fervently against change for the sake of change in the wrong direction than a lot of Southern entities did. Now, what do you think about that? Not something I saw coming. So I would love, if we had it in a fixed location, I'd love for it to be the Rose Bowl. But I'd love for it to be the Rose Bowl because of the seriousness that the Rose Bowl committee places on college football as opposed to just 
appeasing several other masters. And, and really, if the audience likes it, okay, if they don't, whatever. It's not really their game. It is our game. It absolutely is our game. Went a little longer than I thought I'd go on that. Immunity. Next up, <laughs> what a question this is. I actually can answer this for the first time in history. Jake from Brunswick, Ohio, hit us up and said, is Cuban coffee better or worse than the traditional American coffee? Now, Jake is asking this because uh, about a month ago, three weeks ago, whenever it's been, we went down to Miami and we spent several days down there and we had Mario Cristobal on the show. We did our show live from Miami. Mario Cristobal is Cuban and he, earned, he learned English as a second language. I actually did not know that. So anyway, he is introducing us to Cuban culture down there. We went to a Cuban restaurant. We had Cuban coffee delivered to us upon request. You just, it's like a clapper system. Most of you can turn your bedroom lights on like that. At Miami, they just double clap. Bam, Cuban coffee, where'd this come from? Don't worry about it, just drink it. So I drank it. It's like gasoline. It's so great. It's so great. As someone who, who enjoys a pre-workout beverage, with 300 some odd grams of caffeine in it before I go lift. I loved it. Now, I never used to drink coffee. I've only started drinking coffee in like the last three years of my life. Stay away from the cold brew. We've learned that just makes you go blind. Not kidding. So I just go coffee. I'm actually, I've got a cup. If you're listening on podcasts, I just tap the mic with the cup. Uh, but I don't care about the taste so much. So here's what I'll tell you about Cuban coffee. It is strong. It is extremely strong. It tastes really sweet, though. So if you order black coffee, you know how that stuff tastes. And I don't care about taste, so I just drink it black like my dad used to. And I said I never would, and all of a sudden, voila, here I am. Couldn't care less about taste. Just give me the black coffee. I want the caffeine content. Don't even care about the actual flavor. I'm the same way with pizza. And so, no caffeine pizza, though. Just different, different opinion on pizza than some of the some of the more high nostril minded in management around here. I hope I haven't been too unclear. But with Cuban coffee, they serve it in, in little small cups and you just down it. And then you, you're awake until next Tuesday and it's wonderful. So I am siding with Cuban coffee over the American product. And I, I love both, but that stuff they gave me down there, I don't know if it's even legal. I don't care because they didn't test me at TSA on the way back for coffee. Now, they had me take my belt off, and they had me lift my shirt, and they touched me in the nose zone for all kinds of different reasons, but it wasn't because of the coffee I've had. There's no immunity for that. I'm just straight up telling you. TSA violated me down in Miami, and that's like, that's like the fourth worst thing that happened to me at Miami Airport, by the way. <sighs> One of these days, we won't have to worry about that anymore. Next up, uh, let's see, Hugo, Oklahoma. That's where John hails from. He said, what if people are not happy with the 12-team playoff? John, jo what are you talking about? There's no way this could ever happen. John, it's going to happen. Not to everyone. Not to everyone. A lot of you wanted this. You've got it. And a lot of you are going to love it. And I'm not going to call you a bad person. I told you I'm not even going to harp on this for very long on this show. And I'm not going to right now either. This is going to be a couple minutes. But... Here's what I think. I have a suspicion. I have a theory, if you will. And let me, let me just float it, and you guys tell me what you think about it. There is a group, like me, that just doesn't want expansion. There is a group that is all for expansion. So those are two groups. Then I think there's this third group that is the least vocal. 
I think politics is also the same way in this country right now. There's a third group kind of in the middle that looks around both sides and says, I don't think I fit into either one of these classifications. I don't really fully know where I stand right now. And with the playoff, I think a lot of you are looking around. You've heard the pro-expansionist argument. You've heard the anti-expansionist argument, or as I call it, the traditionalist argument. And you're looking around, you're saying, there sounds like there's some merit on both ends. And I think maybe those of you who just apply logic and remove emotion, you also still may be in the middle, but you say, you know, the one thing that those traditionalists do have a point on is, if we go the way of expansion and we're wrong, there's no going back. And that's true. And that's what I think will happen for some of you, is we will go the way of expansion. And uh, at whatever point it happens, you will come to the realization that this isn't all that it was cracked up to be. It turns out we just, we got fooled into going down a road that would make a lot of people rich we'll never meet. And this product feels so sanitized. This product does not feel authentically college football. It feels very corporatized. It's kind of like we were talking about a second ago with a different topic. And that's John's big what if. Well, I'm telling you, that's going to happen to some of you. Some of you won't mind. Some of you will love it. But there are several more of you who think you want it now or or who think you may want it now. And you get it and you don't like it. Now, I will tell you, I'll just fully admit to you, I don't want expansion and I hope I'm wrong. Because I definitely don't want to be doing these segments for the next 10 years. I want to get into the playoff era. Think about how fun it would be for, for me to just sit here like a pinata and every week, You just get to bang and bang and bang away. Yeah, immunity. But you get to do that to me because I was wrong and you were right. And turns out we are in the greatest era in the history of college football. Well, I would love to have that. I don't think it'll be that way, but I would love to be wrong. So I'm not going to be the old guy on the front porch waving a cane at anyone. I hope you guys are right. I just don't think you are. But what will happen, John, is if we get to that point, then um, that's the next question. The next question, as it always is, when you don't like something, is what can we do about it? Nothing. At that point, what can you do about it? You know good and well we'll never contract a playoff. We'll never go back to having a smaller number because that would mean less money. And you can't do that. There are also contracts involved. So my recommendation has been and always will be Place the emphasis on the regular season. Tom Fornelli uh, over at Cover 3. There are other things about Tom Fornelli's personality. He's not just a dude who does a podcast, but that's probably how you know him. He took a a meme from that LSU Florida baseball national title where the dude was talking to the girl and the girl wants none of it. And he put, you know, he put the dude as saying college football playoff expansion is going to save the sport. And then he was the girl saying, nope, not interested And, of course, that led to the usual pro and anti-expansion argument in the comment section. And so I come in there. I tried to refrain, but I came in there because someone said, man, imagine thinking more football is a bad thing, which is just the most intellectually bankrupt argument out of all this. If you're for expansion, okay, please don't just come at me and say, imagine thinking more football is a bad thing because it's such an easy argument to shoot down. It's, it's a law of basic economics. You cannot... Dis- Let me go back to sixth grade for you. You cannot decrease the scarcity of something and maintain the value of something. So those of us out there who say that expansion 
is going to be to the detriment of the value of the regular season. We're just right. It's not even opinion. It's just fact that you can't have more of something on the back end, but have the stuff on the front end still mean the same thing. It won't. It won't. Now, the difference is some of you are willing to trade that and some of you aren't. But the third party out there who says, oh, no, no, we'll get both. No, you won't. When have you ever gotten that with anything in life? So I go back and forth with this guy because he says, oh, imagine, imagine not wanting more playoff games. Imagine not wanting more football. And I said, imagine thinking you can decrease the scarcity of something and maintain the value. Like when we print more dollar bills, you know what happens to the value of the dollar bills already in your pocket? It's basic stuff, man. You, you don't even have to have attended college to know this. College, in some cases, could probably warp your mind on this. So then he comes back at me, and he says, oh, yeah, yeah, imagine thinking giving teams a shot and having a true playoff decide a champion on the field is a bad thing. And I said, imagine thinking that the emphasis for a regular season sport should be on the playoff to begin with. That's where our argument comes from. Those of us in the anti-expansion argument, the great, the great myth is that we don't think the playoff would be entertaining. I've explained this a million times. I know this is old hat if you listen to me, but we got a lot of noobs, noobs, we got a lot of new listeners listening every time. So just so we're clear on where I stand on this, if we were to just snap our fingers and we start in December, the playoff's going to be incredible to watch. That's not our point. It's not my point, at least. It's going to be incredible to watch. I just think it removes a ton of urgency from the regular season, and I don't place, first and foremost, my eggs in the basket of the playoff. I'm different with the NFL. I look forward to the NFL playoff. I look forward to the regular season of college football. I am never voluntarily sacrificing any value in the regular season just to get a champion because college football works differently than every other pro sport. It is totally inequitable. It is not built on a, an evenly built foundation. It, colleges are not, and therefore the appendages we call football programs attached to them are not. It's like if you were to watch a race, let's say that, that you and me and Colin and Bradley and Jesse, we're going to go out on a track and we're going to race. Okay, well, if we all start at the same start line and we, we all got to get to the same finish line, it's pretty fair that we just judge each other on who got to the finish line first. That's what they do in pro sports. Everything is built to make people start at the same start line. Same salary structure, same roster sizes, same draft protocol, same everything. In college football, Central Florida has been around fractions of the amount of time that Alabama has been around. And so then you've got disproportionate inequity in scheduling. And this is a bad example because Central Florida is about to go to a Power 5 conference. But th that would be like watching that race and Bradley starts 300 meters ahead of me and Collins 200 meters behind me even. And Jesse's just already towards the finish line. And <laughs> there's the gun. All right, let's just judge him based on results. Well, that's stupid. That's how the you are what your record says you are crowd sounds, by the way, in college football. It's dumb because they didn't start anywhere close to the same. And I'm talking about scheduling now. It's one of the many flaws I have with the auto bid model. And so anyway, that's its whole separate argument. But for those reasons, among many others, I have never looked at college football and said, okay, even with all this inequity out here, I'm going to worship the playoff results. That's going to be the end all be all. I don't care about that as much. I care about the regular season. And for that reason, I've always said no to expansion. Some of you have said yes to it and you'll get what you want. Some of you have said yes to it and won't get what you want. 
And um, the sun will come up the next day either way. But that's how I look at that. All right, last question here. This is a really good one. Uh, from Knox in Auburn, Alabama. If you were to have your memory totally erased from one college football season and you just get to go relive it again, which one would you choose? Obviously, I would do 2010, but more than likely 2013. I go back and forth on this daily as an Auburn fan. Those are fair. That's the Cam Newton year and the, the kick six year. You went to the national title game both years. But allow me to paper pop for just a second. 2007 is my answer. 2007 is widely remembered as being the most chaotic in the history of college football. But I'm just going to pretend you're 17 years old. You're like a junior, rising senior in high school, and you really just don't remember this like those of us who were already of age remember it. They tell you 2007 was crazy. Here's how crazy it was. So that's the year Nick Saban gets to Alabama. That's also the year LSU has two losses and still wins the national title. That's the year that we're going into the final weekend before the title game is, is selected. And it looks like it's going to be West Virginia against Missouri. I kid you not for the national title. And then Missouri loses to Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. And West Virginia, as a three-plus touchdown favorite, loses to Pitt. West Virginia was dropping like 45 a game. They lost 13-9 to nine to Pitt. West Virginia was a powerhouse back then, by the way. And so instead, what do we get? We get LSU-Ohio State, which is like whichever the broadcast company was that had it that year. That was their dream scenario. We had a guy by the name of Chip Kelly take over at Oregon. Came from the FCS. Chip Kelly, yeah, we, we went on to know who that was. An unranked or lower-ranked opponent defeated a higher-ranked team 59 times in 2007. Just shattered any record before or since. 13 top-five teams lost. Wait for it. Wait for it. 13 top-fives lost to unranked opponents. Do you hear what I just said? We had number four or number three, they fell to unranked teams 13 times. We were averaging a top five team losing to an unranked team once a week. Those things are like once a year occurrences, once or twice a year occurrences, and they were happening once a week in 2007. The number two, there was like the curse of number two that year. The team ranked number two in that week was defeated seven times in the final nine weeks of the regular season. That is insane. Totally insane. Kansas just flat out went to the Orange Bowl. Illinois went to the Rose Bowl. Hawaii went to the Sugar Bowl. Les Miles, on the day of the SEC championship game, is reported to be in the mix for the Michigan job. Miles has a press conference as they get to the Georgia Dome and says, I'm not going to Michigan, takes a shot at Herb Street, and then says, have a great day. And I remember that because he only spoke out of one side of his mouth. It was really weird. This is also the year Mike Gundy turned 40 years old. I'm a man. I'm 40. This is the year it happened. 2007 was what they would call a fever dream or a Netflix special, but it, it really happened. It's almost one of those things where if they wrote it, it would get rejected. This kind of thing could only happen in real life. Hollywood could not bring you this because the believability committee would wad it up and throw it back in their face and say, nope, 
bring us something a little more believable. You just gave us Illinois in the Rose Bowl and Kansas in the Orange Bowl and Hawaii in the Sugar Bowl. Try again, buddy. And the buddy is like, no, 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 no. This is real. This is just a history book I gave you. That's not a script. It was crazy, kids. Find literature on the 2007 season and immerse yourself in it. Or hit the way back button if you can and go back and relive it. Either way, it'd be fun. Good pod today. Make sure you are subscribed. And uh, that's about it. That's all I need from you. Appreciate you guys so much. Make sure you're following on the socials at Late Kick Josh for Bradley, the producer. Actually, she's Bradley, the associate. I don't want to put that producer in his name so quick. Uh, producer Jesse's in there, though. Brett Collins in there. You guys are here. We thank you so much. We'll be back Late Kick Live Thursday night. Until then, take care. Have a great rest of your day. And God bless. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.